0: As we come to our time of reading scripture, send your spirit to move in our world and stir our souls to long for a word of instruction that awakens us to the joy of your coming reign, amen.
1: Today's scripture reading is Matthew 25 verses one through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps And went to meet the bridegroom five of them were foolish and five were wise the five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil when the bridegroom was delayed they all became drowsy and fell asleep at midnight they were aroused by a shout look the bridegroom is coming come out and meet him all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us but he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or hour of my return. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Well, what's in your wallet, er, I mean, lamp? (laughs) Or otherwise, what test? Don't you love being caught unprepared? When the phone rings and you hear a voice saying, where are you? I've been waiting for you for half an hour. When you forgot to do your reading for class and arrive to find out there's a pop quiz on it. And when you remember an hour before the reception that you were supposed to bake cookies for it. It's as if someone flipped a switch and you go from relaxed to hyper alert with adrenaline pumping through your body. If only you'd been prepared. Matthew records Jesus teaching about the coming of God's kingdom. In the last few weeks, we've looked at our citizenship and identity in the kingdom. We learned that the values of God's kingdom are in Contrast with our world's values, that God blesses those who are vulnerable and transparent about their need of God. Leading up to our scripture today, Jesus has been sitting on the Mount of Olives delivering a long speech about the end of the world. Jesus essentially says five things about this future kingdom of God. That its arrival will be unexpected, that no one knows the day or the hour that we need to be looking for it that there will be a delay before its full realization that it's important to live wisely while we wait and finally that we must be prepared for it the parable of the ten bridesmaids has these five components It commends wise bridesmaids who are prepared for the delayed arrival of the groom. None of the women know when to expect his arrival. Although they fall asleep waiting for him, they're strategically placed so they can watch for him. Vermonters know how important it is to be prepared, don't we? The need to prepare for winter, though, is a relatively new requirement for us recent immigrants to Vermont. No one knows the day or the hour winter will arrive, or even when it will leave. But if you're wise, you'll make sure your furnace is working, your car winterized, and that you know where your sidewalk salt, mittens, parka, and long underwear are. For some reason, though, all my study and conversation with Lynn this week about keeping oil in our lamps reminded him to winterize our car. Of course, although we don't normally use oil lamps, oil is still pretty essential for a car engine. In true scout tradition, my husband spent Saturday morning getting our oil changed and putting on our snow tires, preparing our car for the coming season. No running out of oil for us. Lynn anticipates the sure and certain advent of snow in winter. Anticipation. Apparently, the arrival of the bridegroom is the signal for the beginning of the wedding feast in our story. And until he comes, it's all anticipation. Anticipation is thrilling for a while, isn't it? Excitement about an event to come. It heightens the suspense. The air feels electric. This lasts about an hour. After a couple more hours, waiting becomes tedious. Why is the groom late? More hours, and a question begins to niggle at the back of our minds. What if he's not coming at all? What if something horrible has befallen him? But darkness falls and the hours crawl by and the excitement has long faded. The young women grow sleepy and their lamps burn low. Then suddenly they hear the cry, he's coming. The lights of his procession grow steadily closer. The bridesmaids leap to their feet, trim their lamps and pour in their reserved oil. Well, all except for five of them who have no reserves and they wail in distress and then they find to their dismay that the other bridesmaids won't share their oil so they rush off to find oil and worse yet when they return the door is barred and their friend the groom won't let them in to the feast over the years christians have taken a disliking to this parable and still dispute its meaning. It's easy to get lost in the details. This is partly because there just isn't enough information about marriage customs of first century Palestine. So here's a story with a bridegroom and no mention of a bride. The groom's arrival is delayed and we aren't told why. Why are the bridesmaids, where are the bridesmaids waiting? And why are the oil shops open at midnight? And why, in a most hospitable culture, when the attendants are friends of the bride and groom, why is the groom so inhospitable to them? They're late, so what? So was he. And who do the characters represent? All of these unanswered questions should give us a clue, point us to the message Jesus intends for us. The story is not about ethical behavior, nor are we to worry about which character is who or what happens to the foolish bridesmaids. The characters are shaped to get the main point of the story across. Their treatment of each other, it just isn't the point. The wise and foolish bridesmaids illustrate the importance of being prepared for the final coming of the kingdom of God and King Jesus. The disciples and all their countrymen long for the kingdom of God. They long for it to be brought in soon. They're desperate to be freed of Roman domination, to be able to feed their families without oppressive taxes, to worship God as Lord, without lip service to Caesar as Lord and Savior. Jesus warns them, That although they must live with expectancy, the kingdom of God might be delayed. They might have to contend with a secular world and unjust systems for much longer than they'd hoped. The stakes are even higher for Matthew's audience. Christian Jews at that point in history have been banned from the temple and they now face suspicion and hostility on every hand. It's traumatic for them to be denied access to a place they've worshiped for centuries. They grieve and long for things to go back to the comfortable way they were. They feel pressured to go along, to get along, to compromise their Christian beliefs because they're marginalized and disadvantaged they find themselves wearied from the struggle and the wait for God's kingdom and Messiah to come. Maybe they can leave their lamps at home when they go out in public, hide their identities, blend in and take it easy once in a while. So Matthew reminds them of Jesus' sayings about the kingdom of God, that it will come, that no one can predict when, that it might be delayed, that in the in between time, they need to leave, live wisely and hopefully always expecting Christ's coming. Jesus calls us to be ready for his return. Luke 12 35 tells us to be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return. He emphasizes readiness, having emergency supplies. In Israel's history, on the night of Passover, God tells the people of Israel to dress for travel and eat hurriedly with staff in hand. Does this mean that God wants them always to bolt their dinner while standing up? No, and no one can be awake all the time. All the bridesmaids went to sleep. The creator God knows and understands our frailty. We can't be perpetually alert, but we can stay prepared and ready, believing in God's promises, as we wait for a new, righteous heaven and earth. We, too, are meant to anticipate Christ's return when things will finally be put right in the world. We have no other time in this life besides this time. A time between the first coming of Jesus in humility and his second coming in glory. The time between the kingdom declared and the kingdom come. This shapes our priorities, the wise use of our gifts and resources. Now, Jesus doesn't imply that Christians should sell everything and go live on top of a mountain. That's not the kind of preparedness he's talking about. He expects us to live our lives normally, but with the expectation that Christ might return at any time. But it's a marathon, not a sprint. This process of living in the light of Christ's return, even when it feels like we're in a long night, we don't lose hope. On her sermon in this parable, the theologian Fleming Rutledge reminds us of the congregation of Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, otherwise known as Mother Emmanuel. She marks how this church illustrates the story of the bridesmaids who awaken the darkness with lamps burning and plenty of oil for a long, long haul ahead. First, she recalls the Columbine High School massacre of 1999 and some troubling stories about local Christian youth groups. Before the blood was even dry, it seemed, youth leaders began asking the traumatized students whose friends were killed, do you forgive the shooters, Eric and Dylan? This sort of premature, even invasive call for forgiveness should never be inflicted on anyone let alone teenagers who have just experienced unimaginable trauma. Even much older Christian people find it difficult to find the path between justice and mercy. She suggests that we might mistrust such premature offers of forgiveness. But Fleming contrasts the event at Columbine with a traumatized church in Charleston, South Carolina. Now, without romanticizing or idealizing the African-American church, she notes that they have suffered unjustly, extremely for so long that it seems they have an almost superhuman maturity. These mother Emmanuel church members who lost their pastor, relatives and friends in a hateful assault aren't shattered teenagers or sheltered teenagers unaccustomed to violence, suffering, and brutality. These members are African-American adults who've experienced ugliness that white people cannot comprehend. Many members show they've been learning Christ-like attitudes for decades. They've been shaped as a group to look like Jesus. As a community of believers, they possess a readiness that doesn't develop the same way in people on their own. An NPR interviewer spoke with another African-American pastor in South Carolina. The interviewer just couldn't get her mind around what he was saying. She kept responding with, but how can you forgive? How can you be like this? and the reporters continued to be mystified the entire weekend afterwards. They kept asking the same question over and over. How can you forgive Dylan Roof? It was incomprehensible to them. Media commentators kept saying things like, the triumph of the human spirit and the goodness of the American people. But the pastor on NPR said, no, nope, it's our faith. What we saw in the members of Mother Emmanuel Church and continue to see in other African-American churches is not the triumph of the human spirit or goodness of the American people. It's their Christian witness, their great gathering of witnesses to God's victorious love, the God they know will come again to set things right. So what's the oil we need to keep in our lamps? Theologian Karl Barth proposes that it's the presence and witnesses of God's spirit in the waiting church. That's what's at work in the way the Mother Emanuel members respond to unspeakable tragedy. They're devoted to regular worship, Bible study, and prayer together in the face of a lifetime of waiting for God to make things right. They don't have to run to the store in the middle of the night to buy more oil. They've been in the middle of the night for a long time. They don't need a well-meaning counselor to tell them to forgive Mr. Roof. It's part of their communal DNA. They've been storing up oil for generations. On that Wednesday, a group of church members were shot and killed while they met for Bible study. By Friday night, the rest of the congregation stood in the courtyard of their violated church, and they sang, Let My Little Light Shine. When they opened the church again for worship, one of their ministers commented that people keep asking why and how, but he said, those of us who know Jesus, we can look through the window of our faith and we see hope, we see light. The wise bridesmaids saw the lighted procession and the glorious bridegroom as he arrived in the dark of night and they went in with him to the marriage feast. The five that stored up oil in anticipation of the great banquet were prepared and ready to accompany him. In many ways, we're in a dark night where things are just not right. It's easy for us to lose hope at the delayed return of christ we don't cope well with delays waiting on hold to talk to a customer service representative slowing to 25 miles an hour in the city limits watching that spinning wheel on our screens when our internet connection is sluggish sitting in a doctor's office well past our appointment time we prize fast communication, fast travel, fast food, fast answers to prayer, fast weight loss. And so it goes. How do we remain hopeful while we are waiting? How can we still anticipate Christ's return after many, many years? How do we believe his promise that a new day is coming? God's kingdom of love, light, Justice and healing. The light of the Spirit fills us with hope and faith that the light of Jesus' return is coming. The Spirit of Christ Jesus lives in us, a constant reminder of God's promises, God's continuing work in us in the world. The Spirit helps us keep on task following God's mission for us in the world. This is how we remain prepared. We remain filled with God's transforming spirit. We allow the light of the gospel good news of God's presence and love to shine brightly through our broken and cracked selves. In context, then, the reason to plan ahead on the likely need for oil becomes clear. Wise believers will not necessarily think that the end is near. The wise won't be sidetracked by predictions that the end of everything is so imminent that we don't need to do anything to take care of the environment or develop long-term strategies for peace among the nations or nurture a resilient faith in the face of adversity. The wise, in other words, take the long look. But in so doing, such wise believers still care that the end is coming. Although we live with the end in sight, we aren't starry-eyed people who spend our days doing nothing but scanning the horizon. Instead, we live into the kingdom at every, every moment. We do the work that each day presents and do it because we know that the bridegroom is always close at hand whether the end happens anytime soon or not. On that day, we will be with him. We will join him in the marriage feast. We will enter the eternal wedding banquet with Jesus at his side, cleansed from all our misdeeds, freed from sin's power, together with Jesus in all his majesty and glory joyfully celebrating that we are with our God who loved us all the way to death and hell, conquered death, and comes again to be with us. What would you do if you knew Jesus was coming again tomorrow? Someone once asked Martin Luther. He replied, I think I'd go out and plant an apple tree. What apple tree can you plant? What do you have in your lamp today?